I'm Ryan Salazar, and today we're talking about encoding at scale with NetInt. Today, our first guest is Bob Fung, Director of Product Management at NetInt. How you doing, Bob? I'm good, Ryan. How are you? Doing great. So tell me about yourself real quick and what you do at NetInt. Uh, I'm the uh, Director of Product Marketing at NetInt Technologies. I'm based in uh, Toronto, Canada. You know, and essentially what I do is all of the uh, sort of external marketing and product management type of activities at uh, NetInt. Been there about a year. Uh, I've been within this industry in fact, for several other years doing a variety of things, but right now my, sort of my focus is uh, product management at uh, NetInt Technologies. All right, our next guest is John Plasterer, Principal Architect, uh, Engineer and Chief Architect at NetInt. How you doing, John? Great, how are you? <laughs> doing excellent. So, uh, so tell, tell us about your role at NetInt. Uh, well, I'm the principal engineer and chief architect here at NetInt, and um, you know I've, I've been with the company since the nearly the beginning, and I work largely on the hardware side, um, architecting the uh, hardware implementation of our um, video encoding and storage products. Wonderful. All right, Daniel Zhu, soft, software architect at NetInt. How you doing, sir? Doing great. Excellent. Um, it's, it's great to have you. So tell me about yourself. Yeah, I'm a software architect. I'm responsible for uh, firmware and software development uh, of Latent, and uh, worked on the video products as well as the storage products of Latent, and also joined Latent from the very beginning. All right. Then lastly, we have Stephen Zhu, software engineer at Netin. How you doing, Stephen? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm a software engineer and had been here for almost the full lifetime of the latest uh, video product and. I do a lot of um, frontline and low-level engineering tasks. All right, all right. So, uh, Bob, I'd like to start with you first, if that's all right. So, let's sure. talk about what NetIn does and, and who you are in the industry. Okay, great question. So, you know, our emphasis really is on uh, streaming video. So, essentially, what we do is we develop uh, computational, or let's try that again. We develop streaming video encoding solutions that leverage computational uh, storage technology and we largely serve the uh, uh, sort of typical kind of content uh, distribution providers in the industry so those kind of people who do streaming uh, video content are really kind of the, the different uh, people that we serve uh, one of the things that we do a little bit differently uh, compared to some other encoding uh, uh, technology providers in the industry is that we have uh, designed and develop our own application specific uh, integrated circuit technology so we design and develop our own our own ASIC, you know, which is kind of a different uh, sort of approach than typically most uh, uh, encoding providers, encoding technology providers do today, you know, who use things like FPGA software or GPU technologies. Uh, we do it, we do it uh, in our own ASIC, which offers a number of different uh, advantages, which I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss later on. Excellent. Well, that's certainly exciting. And, and in the world, the way it is today, people needing to, to distribute video uh, more than ever before in our lifetime, uh, maybe even more than in the future right now, uh, it, you guys are certainly playing a huge role in getting that video out there. So what trends are we seeing in the industry today? Well, you know, great question. Uh, if we kind of take just sort of a step back and look at how things were sort of beyond or before the current sort of global events that are, that are unfolding, uh, I think one of the things uh, that we see in the uh, sort of in the greater sort of uh, video industry, is this unprecedented growth uh, in streaming video? Uh, there's various industry projections today that really see in the next uh, one to two years 
that streaming internet video will be the primary type of traffic uh, on the internet. Uh, you know, these are things like, uh, you know, streaming television, like OTT, IPTV. You know, there's other things too, like, uh, you know, like gaming and, you know, AR and VR type of uh, video services that are really driving this uh, uh, unprecedented growth in uh, streaming internet video. So that's, that's kind of where basically what directionally what we're, what we're seeing now is uh, streaming video is just growing like gangbusters. All right, so I'm really curious. So your role in the, in the world of streaming, uh, and you just had that, that uh, graph up on the screen. It, talk, it mentioned OTT and, and other types of streaming formats. Are you utilized in a specific space, or are you, are you kind of in that whole spectrum? We kind of, uh, you know, our, our sort of primary uh, space that, you know, where, where we kind of started was this, you know, the OTT sort of IPTV uh, sort of marketplace. But, you know, just with the, uh, you know, with the overall growth of streaming video, there are so many different uh, content distributors looking for uh, sort of uh, new leading edge types of encoding technology that uh, we've really expanded our, our, uh, our reach into these other, uh, other areas. So basically, we you know, in a, in a nutshell, we sort of play in all these different spaces. All right. So what are the biggest challenges uh, facing us today? You know, the, the, biggest cha the biggest challenge that's facing, you know, the streaming industry or sort of the greater industry at large is really the same type of challenges that face us as uh, individual people today. You know, we're right now in the midst of, uh, you know, a terrible global pandemic, you know, COVID-19. And what that's done is really fundamentally changed uh, how we do so many things in our life. And our industry has not been you know, untouched by that. And essentially what we're seeing now is with people trying to do things differently that we're seeing you know, accelerated growth in so many uh, different new services for uh, streaming video. So, uh, as an example, that would be something we could look at something like uh, like distance learning or or e-learning, right? Where this was obviously kind of a going concern, you know, before the pandemic. Now it's it's something of critical importance to us. Also, other types of applications like uh, like surveillance. Obviously, we need to sort of keep an eye on what's you know what's going on in the world. Is also becoming uh, becoming more uh, more of a concern. So there's all of these new different uh, applications. In addition, if you look at some of the existing applications like OTT and IPTV, uh, obviously lots of people now spending a lot more time at home looking for things to do. So they're at home now uh, watching television. And uh, obviously this is also placing a lot of demand on these existing services. So uh, one of the big challenges that we see uh, today in the in the industry is all of these new services as well as uh, existing services like OT, OTT and IPTV uh, content distributors scrambling now to meet uh, make sure that they have an infrastructure that can meet this new unprecedented demand that was driven by existing market trends as well as uh, you know the current sort of pandemic crisis. All right so Stephen I'm curious uh, how will this global pandemic change streaming video in the short and long term? And I'm, I'm curious what it means to you on the software development side, of course. <laughs> well, I think in the short term, we're already seeing that this uh, that everyone staying at home has really driven up demand for 
entertainment that they can use at home. So we're seeing stuff like Netflix and YouTube cutting their default resolutions so that they can better service all the uh, all the demand through the bandwidth that they have. And in the short term, it's driven by it's driven by yeah people staying or this uh, the new social norms that this pandemic has caused. But I think in the in the medium and long term, we're going to see more of a change in consumer trends that's going to occur. So probably so after this pandemic is over, uh, people are more free to use do other leisure activities. Some of them may still be sticking with the um, you know some of the Netflix shows that they might have been watching during the pandemic or and get used to habits such as that. But I think also we're going to see some new. Um, we're going to see some new fields that are starting to emerge, like as Bob alluded earlier, and distance learning. I can see like um, the local university in town; they have a they're moving from lectures in halls to lectures online, and these are all. This is a new sort of paradigm for streaming as well. So instead of having, you know, having um, your web conference feed go out long distance across the continent you could have you could just be streaming from a source in town to students also in town and this is really something that's that we believe will is a is a very succinct edge application yeah, when we first built our, our facility here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, um, it was all based on streaming and whatnot. It is built like a real TV station, but we have the ability, obviously, to do live streaming and whatnot. But we never realized, you know, uh, this current situation and the time that we're in now, to have the ability, we're, we're, we're positioned in a really amazing way to to. to facilitate the things that we're seeing and other other folks doing. And and I will say, uh, obviously, the streaming world has, is... is uh, evolving at a really rapid pace right now, especially over the last few months. I cut the cord recently at home, and I'm, I'm literally using YouTube TV, uh, FUBU TV, and those other types of platforms. And I think uh, that this means so much for you guys as a company because the development side of things and the potential, the, the possibilities for you and your clients are just, are just endless. Uh, Bob, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I mean... It obviously is a uh, the the circumstances now are really uh, obviously unfortunate that we're that we're all in this situation, but for it's also a massive opportunity uh, for the streaming industry to essentially uh, re reinvent itself and to meet the demands of uh, of of people now that that there is a lot of uh, pressure on us as as an industry you know as you know as us as people who provide solutions and to the content distributors to create solutions to really uh, to really help people now. Like that's something I think that, you know, all of us today when, when we go to work that, that we think about that, that there is a real uh, a real world urgency to uh, to what it is that we're doing right now. And I think one of the big uh, challenges that that we as an entire sort of streaming industry face right now is uh uh, scalability, the, our ability to ramp up very quickly to uh, uh, to meet these new challenges and these new demands uh, for streaming videos in all, in all of these different uh, services. I don't think two months ago that we imagined that we would be in this place today, where where we have uh, you know such an incredible demand 
for for streaming content that we have to cut back resolution in in places like Europe for 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 Netflix. So our work is cut out for us. Really, what as an industry, you know, some of the things that we need right now are the ability to scale and to uh, ramp up uh, very quickly. Uh, you know. Obviously, a lot of streaming video today, all of it, you know, comes from things like like uh, big streaming video data centers. You don't overnight create, uh, you can't overnight create like a bigger data center. You know, you have to think, you know, we have to be smart about this and think of creative ways to uh, to ramp up our streaming capacity. I think almost literally overnight now. So our, our work is definitely cut out for us. All right, so there's lots of talk about the edge. Uh, how does this fit, in, or well, let's redo that. So there's lots of talk about the edge. How does this? So there's lots of talk about the edge. How does NetIn fit into this discussion, Daniel? Yeah, um, there are many uh, highly interactive video applications, such as cloud gaming, AR or VR applications, vehicle-to-vehicle, vehicle-to-infrastructure, self-driving applications. These have very stringent latency requirements. You know, to enable these kind of applications, uh, doing transcoding at a on the edge is also a must. Uh, there is an example, for instance, the typical end-to-end latency for cloud AR or VR gaming is around 20 milliseconds. And this includes the rendering time, the video encoding time, and the network delay. So, uh, so the, really, the video encoding has to be happening in the, in, on the edge and it has to be very fast. Uh, Latent, uh, together with Tiris. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, we pick it up. Yeah, so NetIn together with uh, Tiris Research has just published a white paper on cloud gaming. Uh, we have a ASIC-based no-latency video encoding solution that perfectly fits into the cloud gaming requirements. Excellent, all right, I'm gonna toss it to John now. What do you think, John? Well, one thing I think is that the current architecture of the CDN transcoding is, is um, really on a central you know uh, infrastructure so most of the encoding happens at a central server and um, unfortunately what that means is that for certain applications that's not quite as efficient for for example uh, events where that are growing in popularity right now and particularly in this environment we're seeing schools uh, sporting events parties uh, these start of applications are limited to a much smaller, smaller locality, right? So you may see that uh, you know your particular county or your particular city may have uh, most of the endpoints for that. And in which case, you know, encoding on the edge is much more efficient. Um, however, in order to implement that, a hardware implementation uh, needs to be a lot more efficient in order to be economical to to spread those uh, solutions out to the edge nodes. All right, so to, to that end, uh, what applications need to use the edge, Daniel? Uh, so as just said, that uh, there are many highly interactive uh, video applications, uh, those cloud gaming, AR, VR applications, uh, self-driving uh, cars, those kind of applications will, um, will need this uh, edge computing, uh, edge computation. Uh, especially in the, uh, in the age of 5G, uh, this becomes more and more um, obvious. So the network bandwidth, the theoretical network bandwidth of 5G uh, is uh, 100 times of that of 4G. So with 5G, the last mile bandwidth becomes abundant. And we can expect that uh, a lot of HD or UHD videos, such as surveillance video, 
uh, user-generated content video, and um, also you know, so for the self-driving cars, a lot of video has to transfer to the uh, infrastructure. Uh, those kind of videos uh, becomes more and more. Um, and if you route all this traffic to the core network, the core network could be easily overwhelmed and becomes a bottleneck in these applications. So to really avoid that, it's really necessary to do a lot of video um, computations uh, on the edge. Uh, this include the video decoding, video analytics, video processing, video transcoding, etc. So that actually has an ASIC-based video decoding and encoding solution. Uh, it has lower power consumption and very low cost. This suits very well with the edge video computation requirements as well. All right, so one more question for you. Uh, so how will 5G help enable the edge? And, and 5G is, is certainly all the talk recently. Oh, yeah. So uh, as I just said, that uh, the 5G uh, is um, the bandwidth is 100 times that of 4G. So uh, with 5G, you will see more and more video of uh, high definition uh, with high bandwidth requirements. And uh, so you really want to terminate the video computation uh, at the edge inst instead of uh, you know, crowding your uh, core network with a lot of uh, high definition video traffic. So uh, that means that uh, to enable the video computation at the edge, you have to do the video decoding. And then when it's decoded, then you do video analytics, then only send the most interesting video to the, to the, to the cloud. Uh, for more advanced video analytics or for video, uh, the uh, AI model training. So that's, that's the key. So then uh, to enable that, really, you need a very high uh, efficiency video encoding, decoding kind of uh, solutions. So that, that's where letting comes into play. All right, so John, the explosive growth of streaming video is going to... Oh, so John, the... Ex, so John, the explosive... Oh, boy. So John, the explosive growth of video streaming uh, is going to require content distributors certainly to upgrade their encoding capacity. So let's talk about the challenges uh, that they face. Well, we've sort of already touched on this a little bit, but the server infrastructure required for the deployment of software-based solutions starts becoming very, very unwieldy, both you know, when we start going to the scale that we need to deploy for a lot of these different applications, as well as when we start pushing towards what we need to hit to, you know, as we scale up is these more efficient codecs like H.265. So really the only solution that you know, really makes sense for these uh, providers, these CDNs or, or other types of uh, application providers is a hardware accelerated solutions. And they could look at um, ASICs, FPGAs, or GPUs deployments, uh, allows for a much smaller server footprint um, to reduce power, reduce the CPU, and overall cost of the infrastructure. All right, so why could I, or why would I pick ASIC over FPGA or, or even GPU? Well, the answer is pretty clear for ASICs, and I'll tell you why. Um, FPGAs, as you probably know, are really uh, high-powered and very expensive, and they're really not optimized. The main situation where you'd want to look at an FPGA is maybe you're dealing with a new codec uh, that hasn't had the opportunity to have a more optimized ASIC solution. Uh, GPUs can be tempting because, you know, as we know, there's many, many GPUs out there, and uh, GPUs uh, do have some encoding uh, and decoding capability in there. 
Uh, but if you look at the, the encoding and decoding quality of these, these solutions, sometimes may not be uh, where you want it to be. Uh, as well, there's a lot of overhead when it comes to a GPU, both in terms of the size of the product for how much streaming capacity you get, as well as the overall power solution. So you might find that a GPU solution may have power in the order of, um, you know, 75 watts per unit, uh, which may do, you know, a certain number of streams. That's just the GPU by itself. You have the overhead of the server, uh, whereas an ASIC solution might be five or six watts to get the same amount of performance. So clearly the ASIC is the more optimal solution. And, uh, you know, that's why you know, you would pick that one. You may look at the other ones depending on your application, but if you can find an ASIC that suits your, your needs, then that's the best solution to go for. All right, so Bob, uh, the encoding architecture for these new video services, uh, what's really different from a conventional system? Well, I could touch on a couple of them. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I've talked a bit at length about some of the, uh, some of the other uh, existing kind of streaming video services like the OTT and the IPT type of services. If you look at some of the new uh, emerging type of uh, services, some of them which will, you know, leverage uh, 5G, I think Daniel talked about this. I mean, for example, if you look at something like uh, uh, cloud, uh, cloud-based uh, mobile gaming, where essentially what we want to do is take uh, games that have typically been played on mobile mobile platforms like you know smartphones and tablets and then and then stream those through a cloud-based uh, infrastructure the kind of things that are that are important in order to effectively do this are, are a little bit different than some other types of, uh, of, of video services so for instance in a you know in the in the case of cloud mobile gaming I think the first major consideration is uh, is scale so if you look at the entire uh, gaming market, uh, that's a $150 billion industry, I think. And I think uh, you know, uh, mobile gaming itself is about a $45 billion uh, industry. And cloud mobile gaming will probably take you know, uh, a portion of that share. So the first thing to think about is, uh, is scale. So a lot of these new uh, emerging type of services like cloud mobile gaming, the, the, the scale of these are are just massive. So from, from the beginning, when planning out these types of infrastructure, it is important to think about uh, how am I going to uh, scale this up? You're not just gonna build a, a, you know, a cloud mobile gaming infrastructure and then leave it alone. You gotta be able to plan for sort of explosive growth, you know, which is kind of a, a, a theme in streaming video that we've been talking about for the last, uh, you know, for, the, for this webinar is, yeah, uh, an important consideration is, uh, is scalability. Now, also with cloud, uh, mobile gaming, you know, another sort of big uh, friction point is is uh, latency. So in order to have a, uh, a really immersive, uh, fun kind of cl uh, gaming experience, you got to be able to manage your, uh, your latency. So I think typically uh, in a gaming type environment, you probably want less than 70 milliseconds, which I think is about uh, two frames of video uh, of latency. Once you start uh, exceeding that, uh, you know, the, the, the quality of the experience uh, diminishes quickly, you know, and then when you look at other types of uh, mobile gaming technologies like uh, uh, VR headsets, the latency threshold is even lower, probably around 20 milliseconds. When you start getting higher than that, you start getting into things like, uh, like motion sickness. So it isn't important in planning these types of infrastructures that you do uh, 
pay very close attention uh, to latency. And as I think Daniel previously talked about, you know, one of the considerations uh, for doing this is really looking at deploying an edge-based uh, infrastructure as opposed to maybe to doing a sort of a more centralized data center architecture. Now, another application, and this is more uh, in tune, I guess, to the current uh, pandemic, some of the other new applications that we're seeing is that now what we're seeing is streaming uh, video content distributors have some uh, new requirements. And one of these that we've very interesting that we did came up with was uh, that, that we've heard about is uh, what I'm going to call a sort of emergency alert uh, messages or public service uh, messages. So this is typically something I think in the past we've mostly seen on things like uh, cable or over the air uh, broadcast where you would have emergency uh, public service announcements. Uh, but now with the current crisis, what we're seeing is the need and the requirement by content distributors to be able to have these type of emergency messages over streaming uh, streaming video content. So not just sort of over the air live television, but actual you know streaming uh, streaming content. So today, uh, a lot of content distributors uh, are not equipped to do that. Uh, certainly at scale. So now that's sort of a new emerging uh, requirement that we're, that we're seeing now and something that uh, as we sort of work our way through this pandemic that we have to start, uh, start implementing. All right, uh, Daniel, anything you'd like to uh, input on that? Yeah, I just want to point out the, uh, our ASIC-based hardware encoding or trans uh, decoding solutions. Uh, this kind of solution can enable, uh, you know, many uh, new kind of um, uh, architecture or new implementations for the older uh, use cases. Uh, so uh, one of these uh, typical use cases that the live streaming I talked about uh, earlier, uh, it, it actually for with the uh, lower cost of uh, hardware encoding, we can do more uh, transcoding for even long tail contents. And um, another uh, use case is that um, in the social media, uh, you know, the, any minute that many people are uploading the video. So you really want to do a quick transcoding to um, publish this video very fast. So that's where the hardware encoding comes into play as well. And also in the cloud business, there are people um, renting out the transcoding as a service. So if you have a, lot, a whole bunch of high density video transcoding uh, services in the cloud, you can, you can rent them out. So that's that's where uh, the hardware encoding also play a big role. And uh, in the, traditionally in those OTT services, which uh, uh, usually use um, some proprietary hardware to do the transcoding, now they can actually ad adopt our solution to use software decoding for the legacy codec and use the uh, H265 and the, the very high quality hardware encoding uh, in, uh, with our solution. So that's uh, how our hardware you know, encoding can uh, enable uh, some of the older use cases. So Stephen, I hear you have a video for us. <laughs> yes, so NetInt um, provides a ASIC solution for uh, an ASIC product, but and it can interface with a lot of low-level pro programs like FFmpeg, but we're also working with our partners to build a GUI system that's more familiar for broadcast and OTT customers to transcode streams statically and be able to monitor it all through a web interface. And here I'll, I will uh, show um, our web interface for it.
So this web page is a control interface for an integrated transcoding product that our partners at Torque Video have been working on. It's a system with a quad-core CPU and just one T4 rate, but look at how many streams it's capable of processing. Right now it's transcoding six 1080p inputs to 12 encoded outputs of varying resolutions, bit rates, and codecs, and the T4 rates is still not even maxed out yet. I can add even more transcoding streams just by going into the GUI, selecting the input input uh, network port, and let's say the output to be targeted to my workstation at two megabytes 720p HEVC, and I can just start it and view it on the network. I think this GUI would be really useful, say, for OTT and broadcast customers that want to set up and monitor streams that for long periods of time. But it also really goes to show the scaling power of ASICs. This is with just only one U.2 card. Now imagine putting going to a 1U server and having 10 to 12 T4 rates in it. You can transcode 10 to 12 times as much streams as what we have here, and this is already seven streams. That would be unthinkable with just software-based transcoding. So as you can see with this demo, it uh, can run a lot of channels through one encoder that previously wouldn't have been possible on a CPU encoding server with these, with seven streams and 12 and to 14 outputs. This is really something that's going to be a game changer, I believe. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Bob Fung, John Plasterer, Daniel Zhu, uh, and Stephen Zhu, uh, I really appreciate you being with us. And on our way out of this uh, interview right now, or this, uh, this webinar, we're going to play a video from NetIn. And here we go. <laughs> 